we are on part two of the measure of maturity. <clears throat> I'm sure that we have all faced tough times in our Christian walk. We've faced challenges. How many have ever had a challenge just all of a sudden spring up on you out of nowhere? <clears throat> you had no idea it was coming, but suddenly there it is. In the past, we have, some, we have had victories. We have won out over some of these challenges. But today you may be facing a challenge that seems tougher than it was before. It seems more difficult. And as it comes along with some more difficulty, you begin to ask questions like, why did this happen? What did I do to bring this on? Is this from God or is this from the devil? Or the very famous one, why now? These things will bombard your thoughts and they try to make you weaker. As you face this battle, it seems that the forces that are against you are stronger than they were before. It doesn't seem that you're succeeding like you had. Did something change? I look around and I try and find a way to win this battle like I had won the battles before. And this one may, may hit home for you. Sometimes we look around and we see a natural way to win. And I wonder, is this something that I should do? Is this the direction I should take? Am I not trusting God by doing it? And we're still in the battle. We're still wondering, how do we fight this battle to win. You see, in confusion, darkness flourishes. But the righteous, we prosper because we walk in the light. This morning, we want to shed some light on these situations, some of these battles that you may be facing. Last week, we looked at King Asa. <clears throat> we saw that when he came to the throne, his father didn't do so well. He brought a lot of bad things into the kingdom. We saw in the measure of maturity that there are four things that help you see, help you measure where you are in your spiritual maturity, where you are in your walk. Four things. And you can go through a whole lot more. There's more than four things you could look at. But there are four main things that if you just took the gauge of these in your life, you would know where you are spiritually as far as your maturity is going. Am I spiritually immature? Am I spiritually mature? Am I growing? What's going on? The first one was, Maturity is measured by what you speak to others. The words that you speak to others. Mature people are never compelled to speak. They speak on inspiration. They speak what God tells them to speak. Their flesh has no influence on it. Flesh does not rise up and I'm angry so I'm going to say this. They don't say things like, I know you're not going to hear it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because the mature do not need to say things. The immature do. Maturity is measured by what you speak to others. Do you speak things that bring peace? Do you speak things that bring clarity? Do you speak things that bring growth? <clears throat> the immature, they feel compelled to speak. And what they speak leads to confusion, division, 
and control. You need to look no further than a toddler who's playing with toys. When they speak, what do they speak? That's mine. Get your hands off that. Stop doing that. They bring things in that mess with the atmosphere. But as they grow and as they mature, you see that they leave some of these things. So that's the first thing. What you speak to others. Second, what you speak to yourself. These are words that you think. These are words that you say out loud to yourself. We all speak to ourselves, right? Especially when no one else is in the room. Why did you do that? Oh, I can't believe I was so stupid. We say things, we talk to ourselves, but we also think. The more mature you are, the less these things are influenced by emotion, the less these things are influenced by flesh. See, I realize that the words I speak to myself matter. In fact, when you get into the Word on this, you will find out that the words you speak to yourself matter more than the words God speaks about you. You can take a look through the Bible. You can go through and study this and real, real fast in your head. God has said things about the children of Israel. But what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness? The things that they spoke. And they're not the only case. You can keep going through other places. God has spoken different things, but what happened in their life was what they spoke. Your words are the most powerful words in your life. What you speak, you need to be careful about it. You need to watch over it. The mature understand this. They know, I can't just say things. The more mature you get spiritually, the more you understand, I can't just say, God doesn't care. Can't say that. No, I know that's not true, so I'm not going to say it. I will never get this. No, I know that's not true because I'm praying and believing God for a solution to this. I'm not going to speak words against it. I don't think I'll ever get healed of this. How can you be believing God for a healing and be saying those things out of your mouth? So, not going to get into all that. This was all last week. <clears throat> it is up online if you want to go get it. Maturity is measured by what you speak to others, by what you speak to yourselves, and here's the last two, what you pick up and what you put away. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and we read verses of Scripture for all these, but I'll read this one to you again, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. If we as Christians don't put away childish things, if we as Christians don't pick up mature things, how are we going to understand what is needed for the mature? Read this verse again. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. You can only speak by those things that you pick up and put away. When you were a child, you pick up things like trucks. You pick up things like uh, toy games. And you speak about those things because that's what you pick up. But when you get to a certain age, you put away childish things. You pick up mature things and you speak about these when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
Your maturity can be measured by what you pick up and what you put away. It is hard for the immature to put away unselfishness. Or, I'm sorry, put away selfishness. It's hard for the immature to do that. The immature tend to hang on to selfishness. <clears throat> it's hard for the immature to put away saying whatever they feel. It's hard for the immature to put away feeling insecure. It's hard for the immature to stop being suspicious of other people. It's tough for the immature to to not be to not be suspicious or or uh, trust untrusting of others. As soon as we meet somebody, we just figure you're after something. But you see, the mature get past that. The mature wake up to this and realize, hey, not everybody's out to get me. And we go out there and we shake hands with somebody and we meet them. Hi, how you doing? And we're not on defensive. When you have little kids, what's one of the things we tell little kids when they're, when they're little? About strangers. What do we tell them about strangers? Don't talk to strangers, right? Yeah. As an adult, do you have that restriction? Why? Because you put away childish things. You see, as a child, you can't discern as easily between those that would harm you and those that would not. But as you grow and as you mature, you see, if you had a rule as an adult, don't talk to strangers. You could never go to the grocery store. You could never go to Lowe's. Target, Walmart. You can't go to these places. Why? Because it's filled with strangers. And you might have to talk to the cashier. You see, when you get to be an adult, you look forward to it. In fact, I, I sometimes just like to find people in restaurants. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> no, I don't just come up that. I usually find something. They're wearing a shirt that I know about. They're involved in, in something that I know. Oh, you got, that's really good. Oh, is this your first time here at this restaurant? Oh, let me tell you what's good. So I find ways to, to uh, communicate with them, make them feel at home. I talk to lots of strangers, and I bet you do too. But you see, when we were little, we weren't supposed to do that. And we, we still tell people that are little, don't do that. But you see, you grew up. When you grow up, you need to do adult things. The measure of maturity. We need to know where we are. <clears throat> when Asa took the throne, the children of Israel had begun to pick up things of idolatrous worship, idolatrous practices. Many evil things had crept into the land and they became habits. And Asa went against this pattern and began to remove these things. And there was something very unique that was said about him, and it's been said about others, but it was said that of King Asa, he was loyal of heart. His heart was loyal to God. The most important thing in your life is that you get your heart loyal. Get your heart loyal to God. Not the actions. The enemy wants you to focus on your actions. you got to get your, your language right. you got to stop cussing. When you stop cussing, then God will love you. When you dress right, then God will love you. When you act right, God will love you. When you start going to church every Sunday, then God will love you. He's getting you focused on the actions. What God wants you to do is to learn the heart. Get your heart 
right. Get loyal before God. You look at the people that are in your life. The enemy wants to bring accusation against your spouse. He wants to bring accusation against your kids. He wants to bring accusations against your parents. And he's going to show you, look what they did. Look what they said. Look what happened over here. And we focus on the actions. And God focuses on the heart. You see, if you can get the heart right, you can get the actions right. We used the example last week. We're still reviewing. We used the example last week of the dog. If you have a dog whose heart is loyal, and they're a puppy, how many have ever had puppies? Got some other people who weren't here. You had puppies. You know what puppies do? Puppies do not have their actions right. They pee where they shouldn't, they poop where they shouldn't, and they chew where they shouldn't. Right? And they just they mess up your house. But you, why do you stay with them? Yeah, you love them. Because they give you that look. He's, oh, man. <laughs> you can tell their heart is right. Their actions are. You see, God is looking for your heart to be right. If God sees your heart is right, He's willing to take time and get your actions right. But your heart needs to be right. When he's talking about King Asa, his heart was right. All right, we don't have all the actions right yet, but we're going to work on those. But you got your heart right. And you can look at other people in the Word, their heart wasn't right before God. Their actions weren't either. But God's important, most important thing is that. We've got to get on. on here. We summed it up this way. The measure of maturity is what I speak to others, what I speak to myself, and what I pick up or put away. How many of you know Coach Dom Capers? Anybody not know Coach Dom Capers? Probably most of you. All right. That's right. He's a coach. He said this. Maturity is doing what you are supposed to be doing when you are supposed to be doing it no matter how you feel. <laughs> Isn't that good? Maturity is doing what you are supposed to be doing when you are supposed to be doing it no matter how you feel. How many moms can relate to that? Every time you've been called on to be a mom, when you don't feel like being a mom. Dads, you've been called on to be a dad. But you don't feel like being a dad right now. But you still be a dad. That's maturity. That is maturity right there. Alright, let's take a look here. Second Chronicles chapter 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to King Asa of Judah. Now, let's just give you this little rundown. We saw that Asa, how many remember, how many years did Asa reign? 41 years he reigned in Judah. 41 years. It said that for 10 years he had no war. First 10 years there was no war. And he spent that time getting things ready for war. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the land who didn't want to spend 10 years taking all their stuff and getting ready for war when there was no war. But he did. In the 10th year, war came, and a big multitude came against them, and God delivered them into their hands. They got all their stuff. We covered that last time. And then we saw that he had more years, about 25 years, no war. And then, in the 36th year, now, we all know what happens in the 36th year if you had 25 years of no war. No war. <laughs> Obviously, we are breaking that record. In the, 20, or in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Rabbah. Now, 
He's king of Israel. Israel is the northern tribes. Judah is the southern tribes. But they get mad at each other every now and then. They come and they fight. So he came and he built Ramah. Now some people like to, reply, like to pronounce this Ramah. And you might think I would since I came from there. <clears throat> but that's not how it's pronounced. It's Ramah. Now Ramah is a, is a name that's given to a number of elevated cities. But there does seem to be only one in particular they have in mind here. That is uh, one of the ones that's on a, on a road, particular road. What happens in these days? We can't picture this in this, this way because if, if something is blocked, how many of y'all know if you came here to get to church on 611 and 611 was blocked on the southern way, there's a way to get around it. You can get around it in all kinds of ways. I myself, I come from the uh, Montgomeryville Chauffin area. I've got three different ways to get to church without even thinking. And they're, they're all different ways, taking different roads. If I know that the 202 bypass is blocked off, then I can go down over this way. If I know that way is blocked off, I can go down over this way. And then if I need to, I can come up about four other ways. I know all kinds of ways I can get here. If something is blocked, there's a way to get around. That's not how it was for them. Understand, we didn't have 611 right next to 132, right next to 152, right next to 309, and all these. We didn't have all that. We had a road that connected into the city. And so this road was coming by, and it came by Rama. And so what he's able to do by fortifying this city is he's able to block this road off and essentially taking the northern area, a, a good chunk of the northern area of Israel, and cutting them off. Because they didn't have helicopters to fly another way. They didn't have planes to go another direction. They didn't have trains. They didn't even have cars. They didn't have four-wheel vehicles. You had to walk, ride a donkey, a horse, camel, on the road. So if you wanted to get there, it's rough terrain. You got to go along the road. And so they had some roads. Until Rome came, they didn't really have any real good roads. Rome came and they, how many of y'all have ever heard Roman roads? Yeah, they were the first ones. They, they made some that were so good, they're still there today. You can still go find some Roman roads that are out there. Uh, not so much with our roads. They decay after a little while. But Ramah is located on the eastern side of central uh, Benjamite Plain. It's right opposite Gibeon. If that helps you. It lays, uh, let's say, between halfway between Bethel and Jerusalem. You all know Jerusalem. Bethel's a little bit further north. It's about halfway in between. <clears throat> so this is not really all that far from Jerusalem where he's building this thing up. So it would cause you some, some problems. Put it to you this way. How much trouble did our country feel they were in when the Soviet Union put missiles in Cuba? This is a whole lot closer. A whole lot closer. We're looking a few uh, miles and single digits away. So he's, uh, he is kind of concerned that the king is over here of the northern tribes has come and he's done this. Verse 2, Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. Here, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijan, Dan, 
Abel, Mayim, and all the storage cities of Nephtali. Now what happened, when Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work, then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah, and basically cities that were a little bit further um, north, northwest and a little further southeast from where, where Ramah was. Uh, decided not to do anything with Ramah, but he came up and he took all those supplies. So Syria attacks them from what is the northern side of Israel. Judah is on the southern side of Israel. Ramah is on the southern side of Israel. They're being attacked on the northern side. If you have armies and you're being attacked in the northern side, what do you have to do with your armies on the southern side? Move them to the north. That's why they had to not protect Ramah and all the things that they were doing there. They had to go and protect themselves from this. So what we have here is we have a solution to a problem that did not involve any uh, people from Judah dying. Nobody from Judah had to die. No one from Judah had to go to war. How many thinks that sounds like a good solution? A lot of times we like solutions that don't involve war. Of course, Syria went to war and Israel went to war, but Judah didn't have to go to war. So he comes up with a peaceful solution by buying a treaty with Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Now this might come as something new to you, but God is not always in the peaceful solution. Sometimes he wants a fight. Go through the Old Testament and look at it. Sometimes God wants a fight. He says, I want you guys to go over there and knock them out. They have been evil. They have come against my people. And I am tired of it. I want you to go over there and show them what for. This is God talking. Go through the Old Testament you will find it. God is not always about peace. Sometimes he says, go get them. There was one king in particular, he was told, all right, take your hours and bang them on the ground. And he banged them on the ground three times. One, two, three. And the, the prophet was mad with them. You should have done it six or seven times. Then you would have wiped them out. Now you're only going to have three battles of victory. And he was disappointed. Because God wanted to wipe them out. When God commissioned Samson, what was Samson supposed to do? Wipe out the Philistines. He didn't do it. When God commissioned Saul, what was Saul supposed to do? Wipe out the Philistines. He didn't do it. When God commissioned David, what was David supposed to do? Wipe out the Philistines. Guess what? He did it. <laughs> he did it. In fact, David, he didn't stop with the Philistines. He went out. Any, you, want, you got a beef with God? I'm coming to get you. Who's out there? Who's got a beef with God? You got a beef with God? I'm coming to get you. You okay with God? We're all right with you. That's David's attitude. He spread Israel's kingdom the furthest that it had ever been spread. Because if you had a beef with God, you had a beef with David, and David's coming after you. And David won. David doesn't lose fights. Because God was behind them. Sometimes God wants a fight. Don't always think that when you are in a battle with someone, that you just have to back down. Sometimes God says, get up! Get in there and fight. He does not want, he, he has equipped you to fight the devil. Why? To lose? No, he wants you to, he wants you to take that devil. He wants you to take that devil down. Beat him up. Anyway, we could preach on that for a while. 
So it worked. They used the materials they had left and they built some of the neighboring cities there, made them stronger. Now understand this, a good result does not always mean a good solution or a good way was found or followed. Just because good things happen doesn't mean that God says, oh, this is great. You may have gone in a direction for a new job that God didn't commission and you got a job. And God's saying, that's not how I was telling you to do it. I am not pleased. Now don't think that God's being unreasonable. How many times have your kids come home did something they were not supposed to do, but good things happened. And they want to try and tell you, yeah, but look what... And how many of you moms and dads are enjoying this? Oh, but I know you disobeyed me. I know you went where you weren't supposed to go. But look at all the good things that happened. I'm so proud of you. How many people, how many parents here have done that? <laughs> My daughter's pointing at me. <laughs> yes, when my son would show certain adventures, and she, she's not allowed to do it. She was not allowed to do it. No, 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 she's the girl. But my son would show certain adventurous things. That a boy, son. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I was a little guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> but you see, sometimes we just want to look at the, the good results. And because I have good results, God must be pleased. Not if you didn't do what God said to do. Now, last week we talked a little bit about um, uh, uh, carrying stuff. And, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, I, I don't plan. Most of the stories I tell you, 95% of the stories I tell you, I don't think about until I'm here. 75% of the examples I give you, I don't think about until here. I've trained my spirit in a, in a way to listen to things. How many of you have ever been out in a conversation with me and out of the blue, I'll pull something out of a movie I saw 10, 15 years ago? You know why that is? Because I'm training my spirit. I've trained my spirit for decades this way. I train it to bring something to mind that I can tell that helps people remember something. So not only here, I do it outside of here. I'll, I'll be able to pull something out. I saw it 15 years ago. I didn't see it before then, but it comes to my memory because I know how to train my spirit to, to do that. So I'm always working to, to do that. So last week we talked about something that I didn't plan on. But we were talking about um, how much easier it is to wear something instead of carrying it. We use the example, Max was over here helping me out, that sometimes we go to the grocery store and we have 20 bags to carry in. How many are guilty of this that were not here last week? You try and carry all 20 in. I mean, I don't want, I don't want a second trip. I mean, a second trip is probably easier than all the pain that you are suffering trying to carry all those bags in. You know, your finger has a couple of them on it. This finger has a couple of them on it. This finger has a couple. I mean, the strain on the fingers is terrible. If you just went on out there... And uh, <laughs> my grandfather had a term for this. He said, it's a lazy man's load. <laughs> Anybody ever hear that phrase? Lazy man's load. I didn't think anything was lazy about it at all. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm bulking out over here. Not to mention everybody else is impressed, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't run into that too much. I always got, why are you doing that? But 
I decided to bring something out. We talked about that little that Scotty vest, and uh, this is not a Scotty vest. This is uh, Duluth, but I like Duluth. I have a lot of their stuff. And so when I'm working in the shop, if I was doing something that had to have some certain tools, then I would put one of these things on. And I brought this ladder. Mr. Keith brought it on up. We have a taller one, but it would be tougher to set up in here. How many of y'all know that whenever you need to go and do something with a ladder, we're talking heavy-duty something? Something is heavy-duty. We need a ladder. We have to get up high. Something's going on. And when you're up on the ladder, you need the tools, don't you? And so when you have a vest like this, you can take the things that you need and you can just kind of put them in different ones. And might need a screwdriver up there. You can put that in here. Always might need a exacto knife. So, you know, we can put that in there. Um, might need some screws. Yes, sir. You got a pocket. See, this pocket has a pocket on this side, and it has a pocket over on here. So, see, I can get to it all kinds of ways. And so then we have, need to have a, a wrench up in there. I always need a flashlight. And except for Sundays and Wednesdays, I have a flashlight on me. So, flashlight's going in the pocket. Can you go anywhere without a tape measure? Nope, got to have a tape measure. Yes, sir. Wire cutters. A lot of times you're going up on a ladder, you're doing something with electric. Got to have some of them wire cutters around. Multi-tool. They're always good to have. Now, see, I've also got inside pockets. So we can just kind of put that over in here. A couple more screwdrivers, because you never know what kind you're going to have to face, so... You just kind of put them in, in there too. Get them going. And uh, you might need a wrench up in there, you don't know. <laughs> so just in case, you know, we'll put them in there. I haven't filled this thing up yet. I did empty out all my tools. But you see, I'm not straining. I can carry these tools. And in fact, I have a, when I'm actually working, I have a one inch thick, actually about an inch and a half thick, of leather belt, and I put hooks on it. And when I'm putting set up a bunk bed, it's got a hook on it, and my cordless drill just slips right into the there, pull it out like a gun, put it back in, pull it out like just in and out. And so when I have to use both hands, just drop it right into the hook, use both hands, go here and grab it, everything's right there where I need it. I don't just struggle carrying everything. And when you're going up on the ladder, I can use both hands. Now, I know you're not supposed to go this high on a, on a short ladder. I've already gone up to the top step, but I won't demonstrate that right now. <laughs> and so you're, you're able to do this because your hands are free. What God wants you to do is he does not want you to pick up the traits of maturity. He wants you to put them on. Because if you put them on, they're part of you. They're always there with you. See, whenever I need it, I just go into the pocket, pull it out. There it is. Oh, I need this one. I can just go over there and get it. And generally, anybody who's going to work with anything like this and you use it all the time, a pocket is always going to hold a certain tool. And so when I'm up there, I don't have to look for the tool. I know which pocket it's in. And I can go right to it and get it. But it's with me. We have those uh, other, other scriptures. 
Romans 13, 14. They're not in your outline. If you want to write them down, you can. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's just three verses. You can go through a whole, whole lot more and find them. We are to put on the traits of maturity. We are to put on the things that God wants us to have. A lot of Christians, what we do is we pick them up. And they're in our hands, and we have them. But you see, as soon as I get tempted in the area of the flesh, I put them down. I pick them up again as soon as I get into church. But on the way to church, we put them down while we duke it out with our spouse or kids. And then once we get to the church parking lot, put on long-suffering and patience and faith and joy and joyful. <laughs> but you see, I, took, I, I picked it up. As soon as I go away, the joy goes. But see, when we become mature, we put on these things. And it's part of us. I can carry all these tools around all day long because they're so now I put them on. They're, they're part of me. But too many times we try and fake spiritual maturity. We put on a show. They're not part of me. They're not there. I'll give you the example. I've told it to you a number of times. But you ask any of my grandkids, they know when I'm outside of my Sunday clothes, they can ask me any time of the day, pop up, can I use your knife? I have it. Pop up, can I use your flashlight? Yep. You know why? Because I have it. It's always with me. It's always there. They've never seen me not, not have it. It's always right there on my belt. So they always know I can go. You see, sometimes the people that are around us, are they in a good mood? Are they, are they patient today? Are they joyful today? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Now, put these things on. They need to be part of you. They need to be part of who you are. Make them be. He goes on here in verse 7. Do we, where do we leave off at on it? Yep, okay, we're there. At that time... Hanani the seer came to ask the king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Remember, we, we just looked at it last week, all the thousands they had, all the numbers of chariots, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Loyal. Heart is loyal. Not actions perfect. 
The accuser of the brethren, the devil is always coming against you, telling you what you did wrong and why God won't show up for you. But God says it's not what you did wrong, it's what your heart is. He doesn't care that the puppy just made a mistake on the carpet. He's looking at the heart of the puppy. That puppy is filled with love. That puppy is filled with goodness. Did a bad thing. Come here, puppy. How far do people get who have a little puppy and it makes a mistake and they beat it? They don't get very far with that, do you? No. And God doesn't do it either. In fact, a lot of times you cringe when you see that going on. God doesn't do it either. He doesn't, doesn't treat you that way. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. He had a lot of peace going on before, but now he's going to have wars. Now, notice how Hananiah's message starts. Because you have. I put this in your outline. You can fill this in if you want. More things have begun with us than we know. More things have begun with us than we know. Now notice, the king of Israel coming against him was not because of this, because that's, that's what caused him to go. But there was, a, there was a weakness forming inside of Asa. And the enemy knew it. And he comes against him. And before, he's always trusted on God. He's not going to trust on him this time. He's going to trust in something else. The devil had that ability to see that. He may have been thinking those things. More things have begun with us than we know. Now think about this, kids. You're in here with us today. When you do all your chores without being asked, have you started something in the home? Think about this. Think about a time when you went and you did all your chores. No one asked you. And you got them done really good. Did you start something in the home? Yeah, you started something good. Mom comes in and says, oh, Look what you did. And she's so thrilled. I mean, she's ready to do something. You finished all your homework before dinner. Without being asked. You put all your stuff away on your own. Instead of mom having to come in or dad having to come in the room and say, yo, clean this room up. You see, you set positive things in motion. You made that thing begin. But when you fight with your brother or sister, you have begun things in the home, haven't you? When you fight with your co-workers, you have begun things at work. When you disrupt things, instead of bringing peace, you have begun things. When you insist on your way, you have begun things. When you have been selfish, insist on your way, or set negative, you set negative things in motion. This is what you do. You've already done it. Most people wish they had more friends. Wish the friends they had were more involved in a positive way in, your li in their life. Don't raise your hand, but use your inside hand. How many people would say that describes you? You wish you had more positive people in your life. You wish you had more people who did positive things for you, helpful things for you. 
If you want to have those kind of people in your life, you've got to start something. You've got to get things going in that way. You have got to be the kind of people people want around. Now, we've used this example before. We're going to use it again. How many of you have friends that are in your phone? I'm going to say this. Rephrase that. How many have people that are in your phone that are only there to identify them if they call? Come on. You can use your outside hands. You have people. The only reason that they're in your phone. I'm raising my hand in case you're wondering. I have more than one. More than one. I have people in my phone. The only reason I still keep them there is not because I ever want to call them again. Ever. Never want to call them. But if they call me, I want to get the heads up. I want to know. Oh, who? No. <laughs> no. That's what I remember this story. There was one person we were trying to help. We were trying to do some good things for. And I, I got on the phone. I was going to the hospital for, some, uh, for a visit. And on the way to the hospital, I thought, let's get this worked on. And my time, the 10 minutes I was on the phone between there and the hospital, or 15, whatever it took, got me so flustered so frazzled that I got to the hospital. I sat down in the lobby. I started to call people. Called my wife. She didn't answer. Called Miss Ethel. She didn't answer. I didn't call Mr. Keith because Mr. Keith never answers his phone. <laughs> I, I just needed, I need to get, I need to get myself back into peace. There are not many people that have ever disrupted me that much. This person did. And we finally finished the project with them. They were going to start a new project. I said, I will not be involved. I will not be involved. That person is still on my phone so that I get the heads up. <laughs> so I'm not telling you, you know, I, I understand this. They're on your phone. Don't be those people. <laughs> They are, they are on your phone for a reason because they have disrupted your life. And you know that every time they call, they disrupt your life again. They accuse, they beg, they insert, they say things. How many of you have, have had good news in your life and there are certain people you will not tell? Will not tell. Why? Because they will bust your balloon. They will take all the air out and you won't feel good about that thing anymore. So you stay away from them. Don't be one of those people. If you want to have good people in your life, you've got to be good people. You've got to be people that are worthwhile having around. You've got to be people that bring something positive. When you talk with someone, when you meet with somebody, when you go to somebody's house, they should be glad that you came. Now, I'm going to tell you about something, and it's probably going to, uh, I bet a lot of people here have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, but how many folks have ever sat through a slideshow? How many people have never sat through a slideshow? You see, it used to be, when we took pictures, we had slide film. Slide film was a little bit different. I was a photographer. Slide film, you could get certain things done with slide film you couldn't do with print film. They had certain, certain, there was a certain brand of slide film that was one of the best films on the market. And so you would get this and you would develop it, but it would develop as, as, 
slides. And so you would do a slideshow, and you put them into the little projector, and the projector would shine them up on the wall. And one of the things they would tell you is whenever you get one of these things ready, always leave them wanting more. How many of you have ever sat through a slideshow that you wish the person who put it on had read that? <laughs> yeah, you sat through. You were done after 15 minutes and an hour later because they're very excited about all their slides. But you see, if you don't leave them wanting more, then the next time that person comes up and says, oh, I have a slideshow for you. I'm busy. I didn't even tell you when it was going to be. doesn't matter. I am busy. It's not going to happen. So you've got to do the same thing with you. You've got to find a way to edify and to build up. You've got to find a way to bring peace in that turmoil. You've got to find a way to bring positive instead of negative. If you can do that, then people are going to want to be around you. Now we said more things have begun with us than we know. And this is what I... Hananiah's message is to him. Because you have relied. That's where what he did began. We all want to look at when the trouble started. God doesn't look at that when the trouble started. He said, you began something here. Read that again. Verse uh, 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa the king of Judah and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Get a hold of this second half of this. How many times have we been involved in a trial? Have we been involved in a skirmish? Has a bad situation come into our life and we look at it as, woe is me, when God is saying, no, that's not how you look at this. I've trained you up. I've made you ready for such a time as this. And now this thing has come upon you and through you I'm ready to do some stuff. And we backed out because we felt like the trial was too much. And we relied on something else. And God says, don't you remember when you had that great multitude that came against you? Just looked at it last week. And I delivered you from them. I was ready to do the same thing here. And I was going to use you to take care of the king of Syria. But it didn't happen. And so the king of Syria became a problem for Israel and Judah in the time to come. Because God's purpose was not taken care of here. And Asa didn't step up. How many situations have we looked at? Woe is me. Why is this happening to me? When God is saying, no, I've equipped you for this. Now, fight the enemy. Get in there. But we took all of our tools, we put them down. And we went in a different direction. Because you relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. He wasn't supposed to get away from you. He didn't have the ability to get away from you. He wasn't even involved in this battle. Because you relied on him, you can't take him down now. And other things are going to happen down the road. See, one time we once relied on God for healing. But now we started taking the medication and we rely on it. We used to rely on God for healing. But now I've 
relied on this particular doctor and whatever he says I do. I'm not telling you that medication and doctors aren't right. I'm saying be led by God for them. And once you do, don't keep relying on them. Never rely on them. Rely on God. What does God say to do? I told you years ago, was it back in 2017, I had two hip injuries. And on, uh, after one of them, the whole area was so inflamed, standing up here on Sunday was difficult for me. Standing in the shop and standing was difficult. Anything I was doing, any walking, I knew every step that I took. Everything was difficult. And I was going to the chiropractor and he was talking with me and one of the solutions they said was get a shot. Get a shot of cortisone. And so I was going to the doctor and the doctor, the chiropractor doctor, and said, look, I can't work on you. It is too inflamed. I can't touch it. I can't do anything with it. I can't get anything done. He's, and the chiropractor, you know most of the chiropractors don't like shots. He said, get the shot. Well, I heard what he said and I said, oh, that's fine. But I was, and I like him, but I'm not relying on him. And I go to God and God says, get the shot. And God told me to get the shot. So I went on down there, went through all this stuff. It's one of those kind of shots that you had to get a, a certain special person with a certain special bit of machinery and they had to use you know, ways to target it and make sure that they got in the right spot and get that big old needle into the hip and then shoot it and, and all that sort of stuff. And so we, we did that. And so uh, we working on it. And I said, oh, it's so much better. I can work on it now. And he started working on it. And he said, you know, you would benefit from a second shot. There's still some, a, a lot of information there. You would benefit from a second shot. I didn't rely on that. I went to God. God, am I supposed to get a, a second one? Never got the okay from God to get the second one. Never did. I was back in 2017. Some of you folks weren't here for that. Uh, I was told I was never run again. I'm now running 340 miles a month. Just hit enough. Just January. Just hit a, hit that again. I run about 80 miles a week. And every joint is flawless. Every single one. The hip, the knees, the ankles. I go, I walk, I still sometimes walk around in the day. Just the, no pain. No pain. No pain in the knees. No, why? Because I listened to what God said to do. And it was over stages. I'm not going to go over all that again, but it was over stages. And I listened to him. I relied on him. If you will rely on him, he will guide you through what you got to do. But don't ever rely on something else. He may tell you to go in a certain direction and to get help in, in something. And that's fine. If he directs it, then you go ahead for it. But make sure he does it. See, sometimes he'll direct you into that because whatever situation in your life, it's something that you're not overcoming with your faith. It's something that you're not in a position to receive. Whatever it might be. And he says, go this way and get it. Because he wants you healed. Just know God wants you healed. You get, that, get past a certain amount of pain in your life, it's a whole lot easier to focus on what you need to do. But he said God, his purposes were not realized. God had purposes and they were not realized. They didn't get it done. Are we missing God's purposes in our life simply because we backed down from the fight? Simply because... We didn't decide to do something. Don't back down from a fight. If God is leading you up for it, if God is telling you, hey, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to go after, then go after it. For the eyes of the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord. He's looking around. He's trying to find somebody that we can help out, that he can, he can use for this. 
So how did Asa get off track? How did he get off track? He probably said some things to himself. He probably said some stuff in his own head. Think about this on your, on your own. I'll ask a couple if you want to, you want to share. If you are facing a problem, a health problem, a school problem, a bully problem, a situation in the neighborhood, a situation at work, some kind of a problem, and you, you, you know it's coming. Here it is. It's coming now. We're, we're facing it. What goes on in your head? What kind of things does your head say? Does it say stuff like, well, I can't overcome this. Well, I don't want this, but they do. Things were going so well. Why did this happen? How about this? Why did God allow it? What did I do to deserve this? See, the measure of maturity, let's go back to it. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, and what I pick up, and what I put away. Sometimes when we face these trials, we pick up worries. We're not supposed to have them. I pick up anxieties. I'm not supposed to have them. I pick them up. Why are you worried about that? Because I see this battle coming up. Why is Asa worried about this? God has delivered him from a great multitude. The king of Israel didn't have anywhere near that. Why are you, why are you afraid of this? Why did you pick up the fear? Why did you pick up the anxiety? Is that going to change anything? It's not. Now, Asa is not only angry with the, the seer here, had an eye, but he's also angry with God. God, he's, God has done some things. Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. Well, that'll fix it. We don't ever see people today who get mad at a message that a person is saying and lock them up, do we? We don't ever see people today that are upset because a certain person is, is saying a certain message and they silence them. We don't see that anymore, do we? Huh, see, it happened before too. Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this and Asa oppressed some of the people at the time. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the king of Judah of Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady, malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ornaments. They made a very great burning for him. I get the idea from this that Asa may have gone on for longer than 41 years. If only he hadn't set some things in motion. See, Asa resisted the correction that God was sending through the prophet. People do not always have a good or a beneficial response to the words that God speaks. They don't always have a good response to truth. There's many times we've seen today, and all through history, that when truth is declared, the people try and make it sound like it's not the truth. Because they can't have people believing 
the truth. This is nothing just current day. These are things that have gone on. He becomes diseased in his feet. He doesn't seek the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that God sent it to him. It means that he picked up some things. You pick up some things that God doesn't want you to pick up, and you're going to get the other stuff that comes along with it. You may not like that. You're going to harbor flesh emotions, anger, unforgiveness, worry, anxiety, and fear. If you're going to harbor these things, put them inside, they're going to have an effect upon you. They will impact you. Your body was not meant to hold worry and anxiety. If you put it in there, it will have an effect on you. We hear a lot about immune systems. How many know that God gave you your immune system? It's a God-given thing. That means taking care of it is okay. Take care of your immune system. You want to go out there and take some zinc? You're not in unbelief. It's helping your immune system. If you want to go out there and take some vitamin C, don't take it out of fear. Take it out of understanding. Well, God, I understand I need these things and I may not be getting all of it from my food. So I'm going to go and supplement another. Let God lead you on those things. It's all right. Don't do it out of fear. I'm going to take more vitamin C because I'm afraid I'm going to... Well, that's not going to help you. Because while you're taking all that stuff, you're picking up worry, fear, and anxiety. And that's going to drain you. Don't be doing it. See, I said one of the measures of maturity is what I speak to others. The things you're going to speak to others are the things that are inside yourself. If you keep bringing in worry, fear, and anxiety... If you keep bringing into yourself things that are not for peace, these are the words you're going to speak. That's where your maturity is going to show up. Now, when you get under stress, you can go back to old teaching and old understanding and old habits. You can do this in any kind of a way. I coached basketball for a little while. I was not a fantastic basketball player, but I coached it a little bit. And one thing I knew about basketball is I know what a good-looking shot looks like. I know what it looks like. I'm not saying that I could do it. <laughs> but I know what it looks like. And I could stand on the sidelines like a good coach, and I could see some of the young men that were on the team not shooting right. And see, if, you, if you're going to shoot right, you're going to have one hand placed in a certain way, second hand placed in a certain way, the follow-through, everything needs to happen exactly a certain way. But a lot of times what happens is, instead of the one hand being underneath the ball, it's to the side of the ball. And instead of this hand stabilizing, both hands are holding the ball. And they shoot with both hands. You're not supposed to shoot with both hands. You're supposed to shoot with one hand, with one hand stabilizing it. And there's a certain... Uh, you have to bring the ball back to a certain position over your head. It, it has to. It has to come back to a certain position over your head. But a lot of them would bring it back to the side. And you have to release the ball at a certain place and your fingers need to roll in a certain way. If you want to see how, what this looks like, go pull up some shots of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has a beautiful looking shot. Absolutely. Go, up, go find Dr. J. Take a look at his shot. Take a, it's, it's, it's just beautiful. I just sit there and watch it. Oh, look at that. Every, you can watch their, their shot after shot after shot, and every time they shoot the ball, it's the same way. 
It's the exact same motion because they practiced it over and over. So when they're young, I try to, I catch them doing something. No, no, this is what you want to do. And when we're trying to teach them, this is how you do it. And they would do it in practice. They would do it. They would do it the right way. They would shoot it the right way. And oh, it was a beautiful thing. And then in the game, they started off doing it this way. Then they get tired. Or they weren't hitting their shots. And you know what they would do? You go back to what they did before. And I just thought, I'm just going to make up numbers here for you. But it's, it's something along this way. If you could shoot the basketball ball with your crummy style and hit 25% of the time, if you could change your style to the correct style, you would eventually get up to about a 40% shot. 40% time that. That's 15% more. If you'd stay with it. If you, if you could do it. But you see, what happens is most people, they, they, get, they panic. And they go back to their old ways. Because I'm happier with 25, not shooting for 40. Anybody ever play football? Anybody ever play quarterback? I don't know why it was whenever we played, we played Sandlot. I didn't play on the you know, big thing. But we played Sandlot. And somehow somebody had taught me that if you throw the football a certain way, and you didn't just throw it this way, and I'm not saying that this is the, the, the ways the pros do it. Every one of them has got different ways. I mean, who's the, who's the guy from Kansas City? He throws his sidearm. That's not supposed to happen at all, but it does. And he makes it work, and that's all fine. But somebody had told me that if you took your, your one arm and you aimed at your target, and you took your other arm, and if you brought it this far back behind your head, and then just followed a certain way and released it, more often than not, you'd be right on your target. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. That if I did all that, and I got that hand out there, and I got that wind up, and I just did it, and you, your, your feet had to be done a certain way too, you have to be not throwing off the back foot. You have to be moving forward. You have to be on the front foot. By your, all this stuff had to go. But if you did all that, more than likely, you were right on your target. It was amazing. I was just amazed at how well that would work. But you see, what happens is we do that in practice. And then when you get out there in the game, you got guys coming after you. I mean, people. Big ones. And they're coming, they're coming after you because you got the ball. So you know what you want to do? Get rid of the ball. And so you don't quite have the time to, to, do, to do all that. And, and so you, you, you shorten it up a little bit. And it doesn't quite happen as well. You see, you've got to get these things down in your Christian character before you need them. So that when the stress comes on, when the pressure comes on, what comes out is what you've been trained to do. What you've been trained to do. How many listen to the brother Jesse Duplantis video we put up? I love that one. I, I think it was in this one that was, that was up there. Sometimes I listen to so many of them. In this one where he said to the plane that was going down, he told the, the, the staff, remember your training. Remember your training. See, the, when the stress comes on, when the, when the panic hits, when the trial and the test come, this is not a time to abandon what it is that you do. This is a time to hang on to it. 
Don't pick up fear. Go back in the New Testament. You can do this in your head. When Jairus heard the news, your daughter is dead, don't trouble the teacher anymore, what did Jesus say? Do not fear. Don't pick that up. You came here in faith. Don't pick up fear. You came here in faith. Stay with it. Stay with it. You can see that all through many of Jesus' stories. They dropped what they were doing because the situation got worse and they panicked. You see, just like King asked in the first 10 years of peace, he got things ready for a fight. When the fight came, he's ready for it. When you have nothing going on in your life, this is time to get yourself ready. This is time to be practicing believing the best in other people. This is time to be practicing watching the words that come out of your mouth. This is time to be practicing being joyful in every situation. This is time to be practicing these things so that when the stress comes, we do what we, we were trained. And it's good. I put this in your outline for you. Well, it's, for many people, bad things, tests and trials come because they are being taught a deserved lesson or punished for a wrong so they must sit and take it. That's where a lot of Religion has taught people. But it could be the enemy is looking to distract, detour, discourage, or defraud you of your blessing or simply get you to drop out. Could be that too. God knows he's going to try and, and take it, but when he comes after you, we'll get his stuff. Now this one you got to fill in. When God brought you through in the past, I'm sorry, what God brought you through in the past is not meant to demonstrate the pinnacle of His power in your life. It's not meant to demonstrate the pinnacle of His power in your life, but to stir you to believe for greater things in the battles to come. Too often we live in our past and we think, oh, I had that great victory. Oh, I had that victory over cancer. Oh, I had that victory and I got healed of this. And we look back, oh, that's the pinnacle. No, that's not the pinnacle. God demonstrated what he could do so that when other battles came, you'd be ready. You can dream bigger and understand God can go through even more. And God is ready to come through more. Skip right over a quote that I wanted to give to you. Author Og Mandino. How many have ever heard of him? He said, in truth, the only difference between those who have failed and those who have succeeded lies in the difference of their habits. The poet John Dryden said this, we first make our habits, then our habits make us. I was out running on Friday morning and I was uh, listening to a book. And those two quotes came up, and I wasn't in a place I could stop and, and write them down anywhere. So I had to pull up the chapter and re-listen to the whole thing so I could get them. Because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I brought them in for, for you. I didn't know that they would be in there. But I said, oh, that's a, that's a good one. Here's the third one I got from that chapter. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul. The one is blessed. The one I love. The one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Mm -hmm. 
The habits that God leads you into, the habits, the things that God wants you to do, the habit of trusting Him, the habit of having faith, the habit of being in peace, the habit of not picking up anxiety, fears, and worries, the habit of doing these things. If you will pick up these habits and make them part of your life, your habits will change you. Don't go back to the old habits. Get rid of those old habits. Talk to them. Let God talk to them. God will show you. Remember what you're doing over here? Remember how you think about yourself here? Remember how you speak to this person over here? Remember what you did over here? He'll show you these things. Let's get that habit out. I know your heart is loyal. I know you want to do these things. This is one of those things we need to do. Get that habit out. And so you set out to, to get that habit out. If you were going to go home today and make a list of all of your good habits, how many do you think you would write down? In fact, do that. When you go home today, write down all of your good habits. What are your good habits? What are the things that you do on a regular basis? And make a sheet of paper and write down, these are all my good habits. And then on the other side or on the back side or on another piece of paper, write down, these are my bad habits. I wonder which one's longer. Thank you, sir. I wonder which one would be longer. See, what you've got to do is you've got to counteract the bad habits by getting the good habit in its place. Bad habit, I worry too much. Good habit, I think on the things of the Word. But I've got to know that they're there. I've got to know that they're there. You could probably do this in all sorts of things, but I've, I've shared this story with you a long time ago. My sophomore year in college, I had never really run cross-country until the year before. But in this one, I was running, and there was a freshman who came in. I'm a sophomore. This is a freshman. But he came in here a lot more training. And he, walked, he was running behind me one time, and he said, Steve, you do a lot of things wrong. He said, if you want me to, I'll follow behind you, and I'll tell you. And I gladly accepted his, his invitation. He followed behind me, and he would tell me, your arms are too high. Drop your arms. Your knees are not going up high enough. You're landing too much this way. Your posture, you need to straighten up. You need a little bit of a lean this And he began to, to tell me all these things. He didn't tell me all at once. First thing he told me was my arms, they were, they were up too high. How do you get my arms down? I got my arms down. I had to get it so that it's a habit. Because you see, as soon as you get tired, you know what will happen? How many have ever, how many do any running at all? I mean, you're like me. I, nobody does. I understand that. I'm a nut. If you do run, have you ever know you get tired, your arms start to go up? Yeah, your body's trying to cheat. But now your arms are doing something that's not helping you out at all. They're totally taken out of the equation. You've got to keep them down. You've got to keep them controlled. You know, most people who run breathe wrong. Most people are just trying to breathe. How many ever run? I just want to breathe. I'm just happy to breathe. 
Any breath at all. This is good. Breathe. <laughs> but you see the breathing wrong. So he followed behind me. He helped me out with all these things to try and get some of those things to be good habits instead of bad. Sometimes you need to get another Christian in your life. Tell me about the things that are wrong. Tell me about the things that are bad. Help me. Make your list. If you want to share it, share it. If not, don't. Don't make a list out for your spouse. Don't try and help them. Make it out for you. Don't make one out for your brother or sister. Make it out for you. You are responsible for your list. No one else. Where's your bad habits? Where's your good habits? And now try and get some of the counteracting good habits. Move them over. If you need some help, talk to somebody. And find somebody in the church, find another brother or sister that's born again. I, I got this habit. What can I do as a habit that will counteract this one? Get that in your life. Because if you can get good habits in your life for every day, you're, you're doing something. How many know that Daniel had some good habits in his life? Did they change his life? How many know that Paul had some good habits in his life? Didn't he tell you about some of his habits? Did they change his life? You get some good habits in your life, it'll change your life. Would you all stand up with me? Today is Communion Sunday. God told us to make this a habit. He said, do this often and in remembrance of me. Let's remember what our Savior did for us. Because there was a day that He came down to this earth and lived for years and lived in a habit victorious over sin. You can be that person. You can be that person who's victorious over sin. There are sins that dominate in our lives because habits have dominated on our life. We can overcome. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And the body of Jesus, Jesus' body was broken for us so that ours wouldn't have to be. He took on the penalty of sin so that we wouldn't have to. We give him no glory by taking on sickness and disease when he set us free from it. We take, he takes no glory in us living out the flesh. He died. But he gave up his body be beaten, whipped, he was tormented for us, because he wants us to live victorious, he wants us to overcome. The enemy is going to try and accuse you throughout your life, throughout your time. all your service to God, he's going to begin to pinpoint to you 
can have actions that are not conducive and you are not fit for what God has done. But God is not looking at your actions. He's looking at your heart. He wants hearts that are loyal. Be a heart that is loyal. The accuser is on actions. God is on hearts. He says, hey, just, just keep loving me. We'll work those things out. Be very patient with us. He gave us an example in Jesus and how he lived his life that way. And we can live our life that way too. Victorious over sin. Setting people free from sickness and disease. This is what God wants for us. Looks like everyone is served. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before supper, bread he broke it and gave it to his disciples he said take and eat this represents my body not his blood this represents my body which is broken for you in our salvation there are certain things that are on the body and there are certain things that are on the blood they're different they're separate Jesus put an entire meal in between these two. A lot of times we think the communion is one happened right after the other, but it did not. The bread happened before supper. The cup happened after supper. Go back and read it. You'll see. Because it's two separate things. On his body, he put all our diseases, all of our sicknesses. There is nothing that Seat and remember the body of Jesus Christ. After supper, he took the cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant, the old covenant. The blood only covered up sin, but this blood would wash it away clean. In the old covenant, the blood was sprinkled on the altar on earth. His blood was sprinkled on the altar in heaven. For the Son of God. There is nothing that you can add because what He did was in heaven. Not here. You can't go there. But all He did is all you need. Don't let the enemy ever tell you you're not good enough. There's too much sin. But you can't ever come back to God. Let's drink together and remember the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Did you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you say, I thought that maybe I've pushed God too far. But I see that God is after our loyal heart. And I love Him with everything in me. I want to change my life and live my life for Him. I haven't been the way that I want to. If that describes you, raise your hand. We want to pray over you. 
you want. Okay. Father God, you see the hands that are raised? I thank you. So you take us right where we are. And you love on us. You don't see all the bad actions. You see the love in our hearts. And that's all you need. You'll work on us for the rest. I thank you. Oh, Father, I praise you. Those of us that are here, help us with our habits. We want habits that develop maturity. Habits that cause people to gravitate towards us. Habits that get you to look upon us as someone you can rely on. We want to be one of those people that your eye catches when you look around the earth. We want habits for that. As we make out our list this week, help us to acknowledge the good See the bad and be willing to change. Give the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you raise your hand today and you'd like some of the prayer we directly, slip on out and come on up here to the front. We will do that. The rest of you, free to go. Bless the people before you leave. We do have our covered dish dinner today. We invite every single person here to stay, whether you brought food or not. We'd love to have you to stay. We uh, order some pizzas next door, and they're always willing to make more for us. And, you know, our main thing is we just want to fellowship together and enjoy each other's company. And there's some things we can go over to. Look forward to having you. So if you can help us to uh, gather chairs.